Who was here last week? Who caught up on the podcast or the online or... Yep, a few people, cool. Well, last week we began a series in John. Uh, John, season one we're calling it, so last time in John, if you know, you're watching um, a show. I'm not going to do a recap of when we get to week 20. I'm not going to recap all 20 weeks. I'm just going to recap maybe the week before because I'll, I'll forget. <laughs> I can barely remember last Sunday. No. I'm, I can remember. My notes are in front of me from last week. So last week we talked about John chapter 1. We looked at the first five verses and we sort of set up a little bit about what John is about. Uh, John uh, explains, he's pretty clear in his gospel when you read it through, what he's trying to achieve. And at the end of his gospel, in the end of chapter 20, and then again at the end of chapter 21, he sort of gives you a really clear idea. This is why I wrote these words. Uh, In John 20, he talks about, oh, uh, these words are written so that you might know Jesus is God, he's the Messiah, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, There's a constant theme through his Gospels of people being witness to Jesus, to his miracles, to his signs, and then going and telling others. And John's intention with his book is to be a witness himself to Jesus, to his signs, to ultimately uh, his death and his resurrection, uh, so that people might believe. It's really evangelistic in its nature and really aimed at helping those who don't believe to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And, and so I think it's a, it's a great book to point people towards that aren't yet Christians. If you want to encourage someone to think about Christianity and say, how about read this book and tell me what you think. Read the book of John and tell me what you think. It's a great one to point people towards. It's a great one if you're a skeptic this morning or not sure about Jesus to hear about um, and so we talked about the first five verses last week. Uh, we talked and we sang a little bit about, did you notice that in What a Beautiful Name? You were the word at the beginning, paying attention to the lyrics we're singing. Uh, that's straight from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Uh, and we talked about this idea that Jesus has always been God. Um, he was God at the beginning. He was the Logos, the word, word. It's confusing. The word, word, in John 1, 1, is the Greek word logos, or logos. Logos? Logos. Which means, one of the translations is reason for life. And we talked about this idea last week, that Jesus should be our reason for life. He is not a reason for life. He's not one of the options. He's the option. And he doesn't leave you with the luxury of being just one of many options. He doesn't give you that sort of option when, the, when he speaks. He's either, he, he is who he says he is or he's a lunatic. He's completely off the rails and we should completely ignore him. Uh, he doesn't give you the option of just being, you know, I was down at Stratford um, under the old rail bridge fishing with um, my family yesterday morning and on one of the poles there, there's some graffiti and it says, Jesus was just a politician. And I thought, that's an interesting take. <laughs> interesting take. But he doesn't give you that luxury. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't let you off that easy and, and just let you be, just let him be a, a politician or, or a good teacher or a role model. Um, if you look back through history, if you know anything about uh, first century and before first century times, there was plenty of people who came along um, claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be um, God incarnate, and every one of them was crucified. They were all killed by the Romans, including Jesus. Um, but Jesus is the only one that we talk about and remember because he came back to life. Because he rose from the dead. Uh, and there's so much evidence for that. None of the others did. They were just killed. 
because they were lunatics and no one remembers them as good people. They're just like, they were a bit loopy um, and maybe they didn't deserve to be crucified, but they were and that's just what happened. And so Jesus is uh, central to his creation. Everything finds its origin and purpose in Jesus. And so this morning we're going to build on this idea and we're going to look at verses 6 to 18 of John chapter 1. Um, and so let's read those verses and then we'll, we'll unpack them a little bit. So John chapter 1, verses 6 to 18, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Pause, this is not the John writing the gospel, there's multiple Johns, just to confuse everybody, including me. There's multiple Johns. This is a different John. John's writing about John. Um, in the other gospels, this is John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. He's never mentioned John the Baptist in John's Gospel. Just, it would be helpful if he did it in his Gospel, of all the Gospels, but he doesn't. Just John. <laughs> Verse 7. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognise him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we observed his glory and the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, the one coming after ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it is able to teach us, correct us, encourage us and change us. And we pray that it might do those things this morning and you might help us to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been to a parade? I've never really been to many parades, but I think um, I've seen parades on TV, um, and that's, I, I think it's a good thing to see a parade on TV, because you get to see the whole thing. Uh, when you're standing by a roadside, and you're, I'm sure it's a good view as well, you get to see everything sort of come in, in its progression, um, and then you see the end, and then you go home. Uh, and when you watch it on TV, you often get the shot from the blimp, or the helicopter, or the drone or whatever they use these days to pan out and they see all the crowds and depending on what the parade is and how many people are there. This morning we're going to sort of imagine we're looking at this scripture like a, a parade, like a blimp and we're going to slowly get lower and lower until we see the focal point. Remember last week I talked about the chaotic nature of this scripture and um, James is going to put up this structure and we looked at what verses 1 to 5 and how it correlates to verses 16 to 18 and then it builds and builds to this central point of verses 12 and 13. 
And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to sort of start from the outside and work our way in. Um, and then hopefully that'll make sense. And so the first one we're going to look at is just verses 16 to 18, because last week we looked at 1 to 5. And so this is the, the correlating verses of 1 to 5. Uh, so 16 to 18 talks about this idea of grace upon grace, the law given through Moses, grace and truth coming through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God. Um, and so in verses 1 to 5, we see the pre-existing Jesus. We talk about Jesus being at the beginning or in the beginning was the Word um, and that he was the Word but he wasn't the Word Uh, and then in verse 18 it says, no one has seen God but you've seen Jesus and Jesus is God. Again, we've got this sort of like conundrum of mind-bending writings that sort of seem to contradict themselves but it's the way that John is helping us to understand the, the Trinitarian nature of God and helping us to see that Jesus is both distinct from God but also God at the same time. He's also pointing back to, um, to Moses, to the Old Testament, like he did in verses 1 in the beginning, like that's the, uh, straight from Genesis chapter 1, he's pulling back to the Old Testament. So like, like we saw in the beginning last week, John is equating Jesus with the law of Moses. And again, to the original hearers, this is like, what are you talking about, John? How can you say these things? This is a very big claim. This deserves to be, if we, we should kill this guy. And they did. You know, these are the sort of claims that enab- enabled the, um, the, the, the people that killed him, the Romans, to kill him. Um, and so, for some people, they were like, oh, this is amazing. Jesus is God. And for some people, how dare he say this? How dare he say this? So, looking at these verses 16 to 18, I love that phrase, we've all received grace upon grace from his fullness. Grace upon grace. Um, And probably a better translation is not grace upon grace, but grace in place of grace. Grace in place of grace. And so, the law of Moses was a grace in and of itself. God gave the law of Moses as a covenant to the people of Israel, to to his people, as a way for them to relate to him. It's like, look, you're you're messing this up all the time. I'm going to give you some guidelines. I'm going to give you a way to live so that you can relate to me properly, so we can have covenant relationships, so we can have... um, a relationship that is two ways. So I'm not constantly just upset with you. It, was, it didn't exactly work, but that was what God did. He gave the law of Moses as a way to relate. And now a better grace is here. It's not a new way to live. It's not like God's gone, all right, here's Jesus. Now it's easier to relate to me or I've lowered my standard. No, Jesus through, if you read the Gospels, Jesus through the Gospels doesn't lower the standards, he lifts the standards. Remember last year we talked on the Sermon on the Mountain, how everything that Jesus took from the Old Testament, he's like, you've heard it said, but I say, you know, don't be angry, I mean, don't murder, now don't be angry, don't commit adultery, don't lust. Uh, And so he took what was the law and he said, it's actually 
way, a way higher standard than that. Um, the rich young ruler, I can't think of where that story is in the, in the Gospels at the moment. The rich young ruler, there's a story of, of a guy coming to Jesus and saying, oh, I've kept the law of Moses, I've done everything, I've done everything. And Je- what did Jesus do? He didn't say, well done. Good on you. What a champion you are. Like, how good to do all those things right. No, what do you say? No, well, maybe celebrating, give it to the poor. And, and, and I'm sure if he did that, Jesus would have pointed to something else in his life and said, well, maybe fix this up. And the point is that Jesus is saying the holiness, the perfection, the magnitude, the glory of God is so much greater than what our little puny human brains can understand. It's so much greater. When you think like you've seen someone who's a Christian who's like living a holy, set-apart life, what's it say in Isaiah? Our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's still like incomparable to the glory of God to the perfection of God. And this, is the, this relates to that no one has seen God. In the Old Testament, um, they couldn't see God and Moses went up and his face shone when he saw the glory of God. It's like if people did see God, they would die. Um, it was so bright. So no one has seen God because of his holiness, his perfection, his glory. And again, this might seem boggling because Jesus is God and we have seen Jesus, but Jesus is like, he's like a veiled God when he was on, his, when on earth. He was veiled in his glory. He was, uh, Philippians 2 talks about he emptied himself um, to, to become man. And it wasn't that he, he was less God or less than God, but he enabled people to see him in a way that wouldn't kill them. Um, and so you think that Jesus in the Scriptures is good, it's just like a slither of light compared to the blinding light of God. It's like when you look at the sun in the sky with glasses on or some sort of protection on, it's like you're sort of seeing how bright and hot and magnificent it is, but if you were to go to the sun, like within a couple of metres of it and try to look at it, like, I mean, you wouldn't get that close, but that's sort of the, the image I want you to imagine Jesus is good, but he's just like such a tiny glimpse of into the, the beauty, the majesty, the glory of God. And so then we've got this idea of law versus grace and truth as well that John sets up. In the Old Testament, we get the law, and the law is given as a type of grace, but ultimately we read through Romans, 1 Corinthians, places like this, that the law is given to show us that we don't measure up that our sin is separating us from God. And grace and truth comes in the person of Jesus. The law was given, sort of from a distance, and then grace and truth comes. It's like this intimate um, incarnation of Jesus. Grace comes and it's a greater, it's a greater thing than the law. And the idea of grace and truth, I love this, these two words together because the more you understand truth, the more you understand the holiness, the perfection of God, the greater your understanding is of grace. The more you understand how far short you fall, the greater His grace is in your life. The more magnificent, magnificent His grace is, the bigger His grace is. So that's the first little thing. We're looking back and we're seeing a little glimpse of where Jesus has come from. And then in verses 6 to 8 and verse 15, we get these verses about John the Baptist, but just John. 
And if you like, um, I want you to imagine he's like a window. And we look through John, John the witness. So John is inserted into this prologue, this little introduction to John, almost like, almost jarringly. It's like, oh, it's a bit weird to have like this such a poetic thing about how great Jesus is and then you just talk about this one guy, John, and he's not God, he's not anyone special, he's just a, a messenger, he's just a witness. And it's because, again, of John's purpose in his gospel is to show us that we are to be witnesses to the gospel. And the first witness that he sets it up is like, John the Baptist, John the witness, is a witness to Jesus. He's a window to Jesus. Um, the window isn't meant to be seen, but to allow uh, a person to see what's on the other side of that window. We've got some windows at our, the front of our house, and one of them, um, uh, the, and they're double glazed, and I didn't realise this, but double glazed windows have uh, like a gap between, I mean, I knew they had a gap between them, but they're not filled with air, they're filled with gas, some sort of magic gas. And so, uh, but if, and it's sealed perfectly, but if that seal breaks, the gas escapes and moisture gets in and then it fogs up and then you have just like foggy windows. And so we had to fix that. Anyway, it was still working. I mean, it still prevented the the rain coming inside, and but I mean, you have a window so that you can see through it. So you can see the other side. You don't want to see the window. You don't want to see the glass itself. You want to see through the glass. That's what makes a window good. That's why we clean our windows at home. Um, although it's hard to keep up with the kids, you try to keep the windows clean so you can see through them. And, and again, this is the picture that um, John wants us to see: is that John the witness, John the baptizer, is a a window into. The person of Jesus and in fact he wants us to be windows as well he wants us to be windows he wants people when they see our lives as Christ followers to see through us and see Jesus often in our culture and our society we, we want to be like walls where people see us it's like just look how good I am or how good I'm not um, both are forms of pride look at me notice me Either give me some sort of attention. But the, the witness, the one who is a Christ follower, is like a window. And people see us, but they don't really see us. They see Jesus. And this is God's design, that Jesus is seen and revealed through his followers. And so how are you revealing Jesus to those around you? Do you get out of the way so that when people see you, they see Jesus? Or are you more like a wall that when people look at you, they look at you, and they see you. And ultimately, this is the world's problem with the church, isn't it? And with Christians, is that they look at Christians. And it's inevitable that we're going to mess up. We're going to be foggy sometimes. We're going to be dirty. Um, and the point is not to clean our lives up all the time, but to show, hey, this is the one who accepts me anyway. This is the one who loves me anyway. I'm not going to pretend I'm all shiny and clean when I'm not. And you can obviously see the dirt on me but I'm going to show you the one who loves me anyway. And so we're seeing this, we're looking back, then we're looking through this window, and then we're looking at this Jesus in these next verses, 9 to 11 and 14. Um, and I'll read these verses, 9 and 11 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. And in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. We saw him. The glory as the one, as the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so this is what John the witness was showing. Jesus is this true light. But people can't see him initially. They don't recognize him. And this is similar to what we were talking about last week. There's plenty of reasons for life. And there are plenty of lights in this world. But there's only one true light. There's only one true reason. There are plenty of lights that promise to get rid of the darkness, but only one true light that does. Only one true life. Remember last week, uh, John was talking about the, the light and the life, and they're the same sort of things. And again, he plays with these words and these images of light and life through these verses. Uh, and we'll see that in verses 12 and 13. But the true life, this is, there's only one thing that makes you truly alive. And that is Jesus. I just want to pick up one thing in this verse, in verse 11. It says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Who were his own people that John might have been talking to then? The Jewish people, yeah. The people that you would think, these people recognize Jesus. If anyone's going to recognize Jesus, if anyone's going to recognize the Messiah, I mean, they've been hoping, they've been prophesying, they've been writing about it, they've been looking forward to this Messiah... If anyone was going to see Jesus, surely the Jews would see him. But he came to his own and his own did not recognize him. And I reckon that's a real challenge for us today because who is his own today? We're here. It's a challenge for us because the Jewish people were looking for the wrong thing, weren't they? They were looking for a king on a white horse trailing down and flames of glory, guns, tanks, yep, flaming arrows, whatever they had. But Jesus didn't come like that. He came sort of from the bottom. He came humble. And I think the challenge for us is when we, the church, employ this, we look back and go like the Jews and, and focus on the law of Moses and employ moralism instead of looking at the grace and truth of Jesus and the beauty of Jesus. When we try to moralise everybody around us, including ourselves, instead of realising the darkness we find ourselves in and the grace that Jesus gives us. When we're like that rich young ruler and we say, look at us, we're not like them. We've got it all together. Maybe we've got a little bit of sin in their life, but it's not as much sin as that person's got in their life. And it's why we get to verses 12 and 13 as a central point. Is that we look back, we look through, we look at to live. And we'll look at these verses in 12 and 13. New life. All who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name. Who were born. Not of natural descent. Or the will of the flesh. Or the will of man, but of God. So here we are zoomed in on the main thing, the focal point, what this whole gospel is about. 
that Jesus comes and people witness and tell others because he makes people children of God, because he makes people born of God. He doesn't come to change people. He doesn't come to inspire people. He doesn't come to help people, but he comes to make them alive. He gives life where there was no life before. John's Gospel is where we get this born-again phrase from. You heard this? Oh, I'm a born-again Christian. I mean, it's not always got a positive connotation to it, um, especially in the world, but you've heard this phrase, born-again. And it's sort of misleading. It's sort of misleading. It comes from Nicodemus saying, asking a question, how can a person be born again? Um, And... It's sort of misleading because it gives the impression that a person who is born again was alive and is simply alive again. Or alive still, or just gone some sort of weird moment in life. But it's not really the correct picture, is it? It's just born, not of man, but of God. Given breath, given life. I've got three kids, and when they were born, uh, when they came into the world, when they were here, they were alive. They were once not here, and then they were here. Were they, and they were once, you could say, dead, as in they didn't exist, and then they did, then they were alive. When we think of dead, we always, always think of, like, there must be a physical body. But spiritually speaking, with There was nothing, and then there is something. There was death, there was nothing, and then there is life. It's not like they were born somewhere else first. My kids weren't born somewhere, and then they were born again. No, they were just born once. They have just become alive once. And before that, they weren't born. They were not alive. And so Jesus comes not to help people get better. He isn't coming to make... Um, just help people revolutionise their life. He isn't coming just to make us moral or more ethical, but alive. And so if you are alive in Christ, it means you know what it means to be dead without him. And if you don't know that you are dead, you can't be alive. Dead people don't know they're dead. Dead people don't respond to stimulus. They don't respond to anybody saying, hey, wake up. Do this, do that. I think it's why when Christians try to get non-Christians to obey God's word, it's like trying to get a dead person to talk. It's impossible. They, they won't. It's, and, and, and even if they do sort of put on behaviours, it's still like from a dead place. It's still from the wrong motivation. Our problem isn't that we've just disobeyed God and we need to get better at obeying him. This is the whole what Jesus is pointing to. The, that wasn't the point of the law in the Old Testament. It wasn't the point of what Jesus preached. The point is you have nothing. You are nothing. You are dead without Jesus. He is the true life, the true light. He's not a part of life, a part of light. And this is confronting and harsh. And you might think it's too much. But like I said, anything less than this and Jesus is a fraud. Anything less than this and Jesus is a fraud. 
What's the difference between a dead person and an alive person? Everything. Everything's different. And that's how it should be for Christians. Everything's different. He doesn't just transform our Sunday mornings. He transforms every part of our life. Everything. He doesn't just sit in the corner of our life and then pop out once a week, or for some of us, once a month or once a year. On a Sunday, he transforms every part of our life. Every moment of our life. He doesn't just help us from time to time. Everything is changed by him. What do toddlers and elephants have in common? I can guarantee if I let them loose in your house, you would know that they were there and you weren't home. (laughs) They wouldn't just sit in the corner. They wouldn't just keep to themselves and go, isn't this a nice place? I better not touch anything. Nothing's mine. They would, you would know that they were there, either an elephant or a toddler. I reckon, I don't know what would do more damage, but you would know everything has changed. Everything's been touched. Your life is a window to the chaos, in a good way, caused by Jesus in your life. Your window... Your life is like a window to the chaos that Jesus has caused in your life. Everything has changed. Everything's been turned upside down. And so the team's going to come back up and we're going to sing, but I want you to think about these questions. You know, I talked last week, it's great that we can have a message and we can learn more about God's Word, but if it's not changing something in us, then if we're not doing something with it, we've just sort of got one one half of the discipleship journey. We need to hear God's word and then we need to do what we know it's calling us to do. And so maybe this morning you need to look back and see God's grace. See God's grace in your life again. See where you've come from and where you are now. Not because you've tried harder, but because Jesus has simply loved you and saved you. Maybe the challenge for you is about looking through. How can people see God's grace in your life? How are your window? to Jesus. Maybe the challenge is to look at. How are you looking at Jesus? If it's just on a Sunday morning, it's not enough. You need to look at him constantly. Be reminded of his beauty, his majesty. How are you looking at Jesus? And then to live. How is your life different because of Jesus? Are you alive? Are you a child of God? Can we stand together and we pray? Lord God, this morning we are so thankful for everything you've done for us. We're thankful that that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That you didn't choose to stay separate from your creation, distant, but you chose to become one of us, to love us and to make us alive. We're thankful that it's the grace of God that makes us alive. It's not us being a better person. And Jesus, as you make us alive, everything changes. So God, would you help us to look back at your grace? Would you help us to be windows that people can look through and see Jesus? Would you help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? And would you help us to live the way Jesus intends.
God, we're so thankful for all that you've done and all that you are. And we ask that you might continue to change us into the people you want us to be. We honor you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.